Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the next installment of the SUS News Podcast Series, where we interview newsmakers and discuss the news and applications relevant to the global unmanned technologies community. Today, we're going to cover some regulation uh, based on scientific concepts with this week's guest, Andrew Shelley. Hello. Hello, sir. I appreciate you uh, being on. I know you're down there in uh, God's country in New Zealand. <laughs> oh, it's a tough place to live. <laughs> That's what I hear, but I hear it's very uh, beautiful. I have a, a friend of mine uh, is from New Zealand, and uh, let's well, that's a story for another time. But um, there are a couple of questions I should ask. Do you know Peter Jackson? No, uh, no, I don't. Although I do have a friend that went to school with him. <laughs> Were you in any of the Hobbit movies? <laughs> no, so sadly not. <laughs> I know. I was just perfunctory New Zealand questions. Anyway, Andrew authored a paper we ran. Uh, uh, SUS News back in July, uh, a model of human harm from a falling unmanned aircraft implications for UAS regulation. That white paper uh, caught my attention. And, and before I want to launch into that, I'd like you, Andrew, if you could, to give us a little background on yourself and how you uh, became involved with the air, unmanned aircraft subject. Right. Well, um, I actually have no background in either model aircraft or aviation in general. I'm a microeconomist by profession. I've got something like 20 years working as a consultant, and a lot of that time was spent working for Tier 1 consulting firms from the US, initially Putnam, Hayes and Bartlett from Boston, and then Charles River Associates, also from Boston. Um, I did it huge amount of regulatory work as part of that and I learned the importance of analytical rigour. But back in 2010 uh, I was out running in some of the wonderful New Zealand bush and started a discussion with a, a running mate there and um, we were talking about the different things we do and, and she, she mentioned that the New Zealand Civil Aviation Authority was threatening to introduce safety management systems. Um, her background in aviation and mine in regulation were an excellent fit. So we started a business venture together. Um, SMS was ultimately delayed, but New Zealand started to do some interesting things. The first was uh, a rule for certification of adventure aviation, and we wrote expositions for adventure flights and ex-military jets, World War II aircraft like the Mustang and the P-40, uh, and also hot air balloons. And then this was just as UAS was starting to take off. Uh, so we started to work with a couple of UAS operators who wanted good operating manuals. Mm -hmm. And New Zealand started, or, uh, started on a, a rule development project for certification. Uh, so we have a rule 
um, Part 102, which is not unlike your Part 107. Uh, we were invited to be members of the consultative group, um, have since prepared expositions for perhaps about eight Part 102 operators, and we're also retained by a government entity that commercialises innovation to prepare a detailed economic study of the potential benefits of UAS in, in three key sectors for the New Zealand economy. All right, so you you have uh, then a lot of experience with uh, the, the regulatory side of things and let's say vetting maybe some of the data that is produced for regulation, would, would that be fair to say? Absolutely, and and the sort of areas of regulation that I was used to were particularly the electricity and telecoms industry where um, <laughs> the, the level of analysis actually becomes extreme almost the other direction of uh, paralysis by analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't do anything in those industries involving policy without detailed analyses of, of costs and benefits and, and what the behavioural implications will be and, and all these sorts of, sort of issues. So that was my background and and I brought some of that to, to the whole uh, UAS field. Right. And, and as I'm sure, uh, same, you know, the United States, those are uh, highly regulated industries, which is, I mean, that's another thing people want to use drones to... Um, survey, you know, high power transmission lines and, and energy generation and windmills and all the rest of that stuff, which I think we're still trying to come to terms with as far as the process is concerned. And uh, myself, I believe there's three types of, of uh, let's say, relevant drone data. And one of them, the first here being like, uh, you know, artistic or for your enjoyment. The second being commercial grade uh, data capture, and then the third and highest level being a regulatory grade data, which is almost scientific capture in nature. You know. Yeah, yeah, that that makes that makes sense actually. Uh, that, that's a good categorization. Well, I mean, I think you know, like if you're going to, uh, you know, it, it, it's the same deal. You know, the the let's say regulatory grade it would. Uh, you know, uh, satisfy the regulator or the state or the federal government, whatever it may be, or indemnify you from lawsuits. And I think it's going to have to be something that's repeatable. And like I said, like scientific, I don't think we've really come to terms with that over here. Uh, a lot of, I, I talked to a lot of fortune 500 companies and I'm like, well, what kind of data are you trying to get? Yeah. You, you know, I'll start out with a shot list. No, we don't have that. Yeah. So we got a little ways to go on that. <laughs> And, and I think that's that it will be true worldwide. Um, people don't often don't even know what data they really need. They haven't stopped uh, often to do that that key data analysis. One of the, the the most prolific applications of unmanned aircraft over here in New Zealand is is uh, mapping. Yeah. Um, every operator seems to be able to offer photographic mapping services to the local farmer. And it's, well, okay, so you've flown the flight of that property and you've got a nice uh, detailed photographic map, but then what? What does that actually mean? That's the translation of that data into something a bit more meaningful and useful um, is, has been a missing step. 
Well, you know, this is kind of funny because, you know, I beat this drum. <clears throat> well, I've been known to beat this and other drums. I've got my own, like, you know, percussion section. But, uh, <laughs> you know, um, okay, you know, a few years ago we heard, oh, farm drones, going to be farm drones. You know, yeah, well, what does that mean, man? You know, I mean, pretty pictures have, you know, a certain value uh, to a farmer or whatever. Maybe some intelligence could be gleaned off of that. But really, for this to be something that a farmer is going to want to invest in, he's going to have to get a lot more out of it. And I talk to people about this um, and I say, hey, you know, um, where's the value, you know? What, what are you going to offer this guy? And do you know anything about agriculture? Well, I don't really know anything about agriculture, but, you know, I'm going to go and sell this guy my services. Well, I, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the first questions he asks you, you know. Uh, absolutely. And, and actually, that's really interesting because one of the areas that I, I looked at in the economic study was uh, the value of drones for agriculture. And one of the problems, as soon as you're using something like NVDI cameras, you have to tune the camera uh, or, or your analysis of the imagery for the type of vegetation you're looking at. So every different type of crop, uh, the same spectral results mean different things. Uh, and then we narrowed the focus down onto New Zealand's uh, most profitable sector of agriculture, which was dairy farming. And we're looking at how drones could be used for uh, the imagery for that could be used for uh, providing analysis of the level of pasture cover. So we have a fairly scientific approach to dairy farming where pasture cover is measured um, potentially on a weekly basis. Uh, and if it was done really well, you could work out exactly how much dry matter was in each paddock. Uh, you project how much growth is going to occur over the next week or two weeks and you plan your rotation of stock around the paddocks to get optimal use of feed. Absolutely. Um, that, I mean, it makes perfect sense and especially in a country that's uh, the, the size of uh, where you hail from. Oh, that's right. And, and un unmanned aircraft could actually help in that. Uh, but in order for that to happen, you need someone who's got an understanding of that process, who's got the software to to process the the imagery, um, and it also requires the an aircraft that can fly beyond line of sight. So there's there's regulatory challenges there to making it something that's cost effective. Well, you know, you're, it sounds like you've been you know you play some drums yourself because uh, these are. <laughs> All points that I've kind of brought up, uh, you know, we had a, I do the, uh, or we do the SUS News, we do the Small Unmanned Systems Business Exposition in San Francisco once a year. We had a gentleman last year come out, his name's Gabe Ladd. He got a master's degree in uh, basically um, remote sensing and, and crop stress for uh, droughts and other things. And he says, you can go fly a flight and I could spend 40 hours analyzing the data. Yep. Okay, now that's a lot of time, and a guy's got a master's degree, so you're going to have to pay him some money, you know, and that's all understandable, you know. Um, really, where the value I see is, is until you have either your software can take the expert out, you know, where is that value, and uh, let's say, where, do, where does it land? I don't know if it's going to be worth it to the alfalfa farmer to pay somebody with a master's degree to analyze 40 hours worth of data. I doubt it. 
That, that's exactly right. And you have to you have to have software systems that automate the process, um, and that then requires a lot of university level research to ensure that what's coming out of the software systems actually is what the expert. And something that you hit on earlier, which is standardization. You're going to have to have standards. Yes. Or you're just groping around in the dark, you know. So, yeah, no, we're in agreement on that one. I, I, I you know, it's the same thing with the, uh, the, the doing the power generation and transmission work. There's going to have to be standards. I mean, it, people think, oh, you know, I'm going to go and, uh, oh, I'm going to be a, you know, high-tension power line survey guy, you know. Uh, no. You know, that's a regulated industry, and there's a certain nomenclature and way things are done. And yes, they're going to have to be changed to uh, a system that can be done by unmanned aircraft or unmanned systems, let's just call it, because I'm a proponent of, let's say, the converging technologies, which may be ground, sea, land, airspace, because they, they kind of work together. But there's going to have to be standards for collecting data and then processing data and disseminating data. Agree or disagree with that? Oh, absolutely. And in that particular industry, electricity transmission, they don't do anything unless they have agreed a standard beforehand. Well, it makes sense. You know, um, you know what happens? I'm sure it's the same in your country. When the power goes out, you know, people get a little, um, they get a little testy. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And we have had two instances here where the power has gone out because someone has flown their their drone into uh, a power line. Oh, well, how did that go over with the uh, regulator and the and the government? Well, it was surprisingly muted, actually. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, I, I was very, very surprised. Mind you, we have... We have a problem that the courts aren't quite grasping the seriousness of where unmanned aircraft could go. We had a test prosecution uh, earlier in the year. Someone who had been flying in controlled airspace without authorization and also flew too close to a, a manned helicopter creating a hazard. So the, he was found guilty on all three counts, but he was discharged without conviction for flying too close to the manned helicopter. And for flying in controlled airspace, he was given a fine of $500 on each count. Um, it wasn't worth the Civil Aviation Authority in the end even bringing the prosecution. Right. Um, so that the courts aren't really seeing the seriousness i think they're still looking at these as toys and sometimes with toys you know you could have a kite and the kite the kite gets away and flies and lands on power lines Uh, i think that's the way they're they're seeing it right well i you know i overhear things there was a little bit of a hysteria but we have a little bit of a different um you know we just celebrated the 15th anniversary of 9-11 and Homeland Security has had some issues with these things and potential. But, uh, you know, there are a few different things in that. And and so they've decided that they really, you know, need to kind of crack down on, let's say, the drones where the drones aren't supposed to be and airports and, and other things like that. And I And I agree with that. I do agree that there are certain places drones probably shouldn't be. And, you know, that would be around any, uh, you know, large airports or even airports if you don't know how to operate, whatever. But that's another discussion for another time. 
One other thing I wanted to touch on was the, the map making and the land surveying. Um, you know, there, there are a couple of different jobs that people decided that they, you know, you probably saw the, uh, the AUVSI report where they were talking about $89 billion worth of value. And you have all these uses that people are going to do. Well, you know, some of these uses require people to be like licensed. Thank you for listening to host Patrick Egan and guest Andrew Shelley on the SUAS News podcast. Come back next week for part two. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.